Dom, we're so glad to have you. And uh, yeah, let's just welcome Dominic here as he comes to share. Thanks, Dave. Am I on there? Is it okay? It's good to be here, everyone. This is great. I was here probably, I don't know, I say 10 years ago, but I could be wrong, like a long time ago. And every time I see Dave, I feel like I've known Dave and even Franca for like 50 years. Like Dave's not, not that old, but maybe close, I don't know. Uh, but it's such a, an honor to be here. Like Dave said, I'm here with my wife, Beverly, our three boys. My parents are here this morning, which is always nice. It's always a real privilege to preach to your parents. It's a way of getting them back for all this stuff. So you'll hear the subliminal stuff. That's just for them. Uh, I'm kidding. But uh, this morning, I just, I just want to share some of the things that God's been teaching me, things he's been stretching me with. And I know that you've been in a series on being missional. And for those who are visiting, that's kind of a word that's used for understanding what it means to impact the community. And at Westside, I know that's one of your values and one of the things God's stretching you in. But the thing I want to talk to you about this morning is really what it means to be the kinds of people that are ready to welcome people when they come. It's one thing to go out and reach people where they're at. It's another thing to become the kind of people that when people actually come to visit, they recognize something special about what it means to be community together. And so I just want to begin with a question, very simple question. It, who's the most selfish person you know? Think about that person. If they're in the room, you can't point at them. And if you're married to them, just stand straight like this. Don't move your head. It's going to get really... Then there's counseling for that, and it's complicated. Okay? The most selfish person you know. Think of that person. <clears throat> when I think about this question, most selfish person I know is in this room. Okay? And I have a picture for you of that person. He's right here on the screen. There it is. Okay? His name is Isaac. Isaac is our youngest little guy, and the picture's so deceiving because he looks friendly. <laughs> he looks like he let you hug him. He looks like a statue. <laughs> and Isaac is our youngest boy. And you know what? We love him, obviously. But Isaac has this selfish way about him. And I'll give you an example of how selfish Isaac is. Isaac is so selfish that when we are eating, if there's something that he hates to eat, like he hates it, so much so that like he's allergic to it. If he eats it, he'll die. He doesn't have allergies, but that kind of like he hates to eat, right? and his brothers want to eat it, he'll take it, like the double portion of it, and hold it in his hands so that they won't eat it, even though he will never eat it. That's how selfish he is when he thinks about stuff. He's hiding stuff in his room. We find, like if you have kids, you know this, we find food in his room or under the couch, like apples that now is growing to an apple tree. I don't know, just been there for a thousand years. He's so selfish. But what's funny is when we have kids, we kind of put up with selfishness in kids. We're kind of like, they're kids. They always say, that's mine. We do our best that they don't lose their minds in public, right? But as we get older, what's really interesting is that to be selfish never really goes away. It's always there in our own hearts, in our own minds. We can all think of times in our lives where we really have decided that we're going to be more selfish. We're going to think more about ourselves than other people. And it's something that in our culture, actually, is sometimes even celebrated, you want to be the best. You want to beat everyone. If you go for an interview, you want to make sure your resume is the best. You actually want to always be selling yourself, right? It's part of our culture. Last year, the Oxford Dictionary picked the word of the year to be entered into the dictionary for 2013, and that word was selfie, okay? Imagine that we live in a culture that actually has a new word that we've invented to help people talk more and focus more on themselves, and yet... Selfishness is a violation of everything that Jesus comes to talk about. Everything. Everything about his kingdom, everything about the gospel, everything about grace. A complete violation of all of that. And so this morning, I want, to, I want us to think about together what it means that 
if we're not careful, selfishness begins to creep into our lives and we actually leave it unattended for a very long time. There's this passage you'll see on the screen. You can just go to it quickly and I'll read it. It's from James. This is what it says. For wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. For the earliest Christians who are trying to live the life that Jesus has called them to live, they know how deadly to be selfish and to be jealous of what others have, actually how it permeates everything about us. And actually the word here that's used, it's a word, it's actually a positive word in the original language. The word for selfish is the word that refers to a person who, who works a day's wage, right? But when the writers use it in this context, they flip it in such a way that the word is about not something good and should be positive to go to work, to honor God with your gifts, but to have a selfish ambition about it where you're actually focusing more on yourself than on honoring God who's giving you the gifts to work, right? It's that kind of twist. And the reason selfishness becomes such a violation of everything about God and about Jesus and about his kingdom is because what selfishness does at its core is it convinces us that people exist for, for us and for us to be able to use them for our own advantage. If you're taking notes, remember that selfishness moves people away from being creatures of God that we are to love and moves people to being people that exist so that we can use them. They're made to be used for our advantage. It basically violates the order of God in the world. If you're new to Christianity or you're new to the Bible, you might not know this, but people in the Bible actually were not only selfish when it came to other people. They actually got to the place where they thought they could use God to their own advantage. They thought they could coerce God and use God to benefit themselves. Do you know anyone that way? People who, over time, they kind of think they should follow some religion or some belief because of how it's going to make them better than someone else. It's not because they love God. It's not because they want to die to themselves and serve other people. It's like, if I believe in this God, I think I'll get a better job. If I believe in this God, I'll probably find a wife. If I believe in this God, I'll probably get a raise. If I believe in this God. So selfishness impacts our relationship with each other people, if I'm selfish and I want to make sure that I'm always ahead and I'm always thinking about myself, I'm just here thinking about how can I use some of you to get ahead. But even worse, when you get to the place where God is someone that you start to use for your own advantage, like God is like almost like Santa, right? It's like a Santa Claus, where you're just using him. In the Bible, when Jesus is teaching, oftentimes people start to follow Jesus for that kind of reason. There's many people who would follow Jesus for completely the wrong reasons. I mean, Jesus would teach. He would try to explain to them how important it is that they need to, like, repent, turn from the way that they're living, live a new kind of life. And every so often, Jesus is like, hey, if you follow me, I'll take, like, these two biscuits, or if you're Italian, panini, right? And, and I'll turn them into, like, food for all of us. Wouldn't that be great? You're like, that's pretty sweet. I'm going to text my friend right now, Right? But you're like, I don't really believe in God or Jesus. It's okay, he makes food, this God. He will make us more food while I'm there. I know friends would be like, bro, I'm, I'm there. I'll get baptized for that. I don't even care. Right? So people are following Jesus for like, some of them it's because they're learning. Some of them it's because like, it's kind of advantageous to follow this Jesus. He's healing people. He's providing extra food sometimes. He's walking on water. He's doing some cool stuff. And every so often... Jesus, in his teaching, will say something to shake everybody up, to make sure they never forget that if they want to continue to live the selfish way of life, this will never work. 
Maybe you're here this morning or you know someone this morning. You got to the habit where, you know, this has kind of become kind of a habit. You go to church, you maybe read the Bible, you visit once in a while, right? But in your heart, you know, you really care more about yourself. And as you look at your life, you don't see yourself growing more and more in love with God. You actually, whenever you think of God, you wonder, how can I pray in such a way where God will give me something? Well, God will help me more. Rather than saying, how can I live this day so selflessly where people will see God in me as I live? And that's like life transformation. And it's not just like a problem we have today because of our technology or our internet or whatever stories people make up. It was actually a problem in the first century because humanity is humanity. Those problems are everywhere. And so I want to just show you this small section of scripture where Jesus is talking about uh, so many different things in Mark's gospel. And at one point, the Bible says that there's so many people who are following him, again, for so many different reasons, that Jesus has to get on a boat in order to preach them. So it's like, the crowd is so big, it's like he gets up on the stage, he's got he's to preach them. And this is one of those times where Jesus really tries to shake people's minds to understand that if you're going to follow me, at some point, you're going to have to give up your own way of life to do this. And one of the things I want you to remember is that Jesus often, his most preferred method of teaching was to tell stories. He often told stories. If you're, you've been in church for a long time, you might know this. They're called parables. Some of them are like stories with a bit of a twist. In the rabbinic schools that Jesus was a part of, to be a rabbi was to be a teacher of the Hebrew scriptures. It was very common that when you told a story, some of the stories had a very simple truth to them. Meaning, here's a simple story. Like, don't build your, your house on sand. Build it on a rock. Everyone's like, I kind of get that. If it's on sand, if there's a storm, we're going to die. Very simple to understand. But other times, the rabbis will tell a story and you would expect a certain ending to the story and good rabbis would just change the ending. Enough that it would take you off guard. You'd be like, that's not how that's supposed to end. What just happened? It's actually a form of rabbinic teaching. And in the story I'm going to read for you, in this section in Mark, Jesus will do that to get people's attention in a very interesting way. If you have a Bible, you can follow along in Mark chapter 4. And if you don't, you'll see it on the screen. That's what Jesus said. How can I describe the kingdom of God, which is what he's teaching about and talking about. What story should I use to illustrate it? This is what he says. It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground, and it's the smallest of all seeds. By the way, everybody knew that. But it becomes the largest of all the garden plants. Everybody got that? It grows long branches, and birds come make nests in its shade. And nobody was ready for that. Jesus says, there's all of you following me. You've been listening. I want to give you a great picture that's going to make sense to all of you who are farmers and you live, obviously, in this kind of culture. The kingdom of God that I'm coming to usher in, that you want to be a part of, that you should be a part of, is like a mustard seed. And when you plant it, it grows this big, big tree, and it's a beautiful tree. It's wonderful. And if you're a farmer, you're like, I get that, I get that. And everybody who really works the land, here's the next part where it says, yeah, and what happens with these trees is all these birds show up. And if you're a farmer, do you love birds? It's very easy. This is a simple question. You hate birds. You hate birds because they're eating other crops. They're affecting different things, right? So imagine Jesus says, some of you think that this kingdom of God is really about you and about what you want and you're following. But let me tell you, there's going to be times that if you're going to follow me, and as you come and experience what this kingdom is really all about, that this kingdom will attract certain people to it that you will not like. They will be people that will rub you the wrong way. And if you think that you can just follow me for your own selfish reasons, guess what? You are going to hate this kingdom. 
Of which, by the way, Jesus is the king of. Right? So Jesus tells this story, and at the end, imagine. He's talking about the most positive thing he could say, and he gives it a negative ending. And everybody would be like, why would anyone want to be a part of such a stupid kingdom? I don't want to be part of that. I hate birds. I hate all kinds of birds. Where we live, our home is, uh, is kind of, we can get close to the beach where we can take our kids to the beach fairly often. And honestly, every time I'm at the beach with our kids in the summertime, let's just go back as far back as we can to think of summer. Ready? Just for a few minutes now. You feeling that? Okay, we're done. Okay, so summertime, right? We're at the beach with our kids, and honestly, it's full of birds everywhere. Because there's one person at the beach who's all Mr. Like, I love the environment, which, by the way, I'm pro that, right? But don't send me any emails, okay? So, and they're always bringing food to feed the birds. And the birds, once they start to eat in one section, you know this? Like, it's like they have a code where they call all their bird friends, and they all show up. And my kids are like chasing birds, throwing rocks at the birds. The birds think the rocks are food, so they try to eat the food. Anybody have this experience? None of you. No birds in Montreal. Okay. So these seagulls are like a disaster. You're like, I hate this. And when I see this, I think Jesus would have used this to talk about the kingdom. He would have said, you know, sometimes the kingdom is going to feel this way. There's going to be people. They're going to come. They're going to want to like hear what I'm doing and they're going to be of a different culture and they're going to look different and they're going to speak different and it's going to rub you the wrong way, especially if you think that this is all about you. It's very simple. Jesus says, so what are you going to do when the birds come? What are you really going to do? Because when the birds come, you get a really good spiritual gauge on how you're doing with this issue of selfishness. If it's really all about you, this is going to bug you so much. You're going you're to struggle. You're going to be like, I can't handle this. I came here because I wanted this for me, and this was about me and how I could grow. And all of a sudden, Jesus is like, that's not what this kingdom is about. Jesus will model this time and time again. I had this experience happen to me at my church where I'm at. I've been there for three years. And uh, by God's grace, our church has been growing fairly quickly, and we make changes fairly quickly on the fly because of just the way the community works. And Probably about a month ago, uh, I was in our foyer space, right, before you come in to kind of sing and worship, and I was standing out there, and I saw a person who's been attending the church for probably 50 years, like they're like a veteran leader of the church, been there for a long time, wonderful man, wonderful man. He's standing there, and we're about to start our service, and I never really see him there around that time, and I'm usually always doing my rounds or saying hi to someone, and, and I notice this person is there, so I go up to them and I say, hey, you know, how come you're not in your seat? Like, we're about to begin, you hear the music playing, all that stuff. He's, he looks at me in his own way, and I can feel this, and he's like, somebody took my seat. <laughs> I was like, wow, like, I'm thinking that's a great thing, but I know that they're thinking that's not a good thing. Why is someone in my seat? That I've sat in for 50 years. That's my seat. And I said, to make a joke, probably make him really more upset, I said, where I sit in the front, there's no one there. So you can come and sit with me right in the front. And it was like that look, like I'm going to burn you with my eyes look. And I was like, hey, bud, okay, I'll see you later. I'm going to be in trouble for sure, for something like that. But I had this live moment, like in the 21st century, of someone saying in their own way, ah... All these people, like uh, some of these people, who are they? They're here and they're, they're disrupting the, the order of things. And Jesus is like, that's what the kingdom is about. When's the last time you let Jesus disrupt the order of how you live? If this becomes too comfortable for you, I think you guys are going to be missing something. 
If it becomes really about how, you know, how hot the tea is or how loud the music is and how everything works for your kids and all that, at some point, my prayer for you is that you hear Jesus say to you, hey, this is not all about you. And don't get me wrong, there's incredible perks and benefits to being part of the, the kingdom of God. I mean, God loves us. We experience his grace, his love. So there are things that really we are blessed by being part of God's kingdom, right? But if that's all this is about... Jesus is like, you will miss the whole picture. You will miss what all of this really means. And so it's so important for me, for you as a church, to think about what it means to be selfless followers of Jesus. Because when people eventually find their way among you, when God draws them, as God does, in different ways, maybe you're visiting this morning, and part of what we believe is that God draws people at different times in their lives, are they going to see a group of people that are learning to live selfless lives? Are they going to get a flavor of what it's like to see people who are serving and caring for others? Not only out there when you're missional. Sometimes it's easy to have our best behavior when we're with strangers. But to be with those you love, to be with those you call family, to be with those you call the family and the body of Jesus in the community, it's a little bit harder, especially if you're with, with one another for a long time, to learn to say, you know what, that's fine. Whatever will work or whatever God's calling us to, that's my preferred option but I'm okay if it doesn't work that way. To have someone say, hey, that was my seat, but I'll give up my seat. I'll stand for someone else to experience what God's done in my life and getting to that place. I mean, imagine that Jesus is talking about this and preaching about this and his disciples who are with him, many times, they don't even get it. At one point, as Jesus is teaching his disciples and they're talking, Jesus is getting closer to the end of his his life and he's kind of preparing them for what's going to happen. And they traveled through an area of the the first century where Jesus was living called Samaria, which is known like, I mean, if you're living, if you're a Habs fan, it's like going through Toronto when the Leafs are playing a game. Horrible. You're like, I don't want to touch anything that Leaf fan touches. That's me and my brother. That's my own counseling problems I have to deal with. Okay. So in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is with his disciples and they're walking through this Samarian area and the people kind of don't welcome Jesus. And this is what happens next. The people of the village didn't welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. And when James and John, by the way, disciples of Jesus, saw, saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? By the way, this is in the Bible. I'm not making this up. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. The disciples of Jesus are like, we kind of are following you because you really love the people we love. That's why we're in it. Like, I mean, it's worth... And Jesus has been with them for years. And imagine you're like, you guys think that the authority, the power, the wisdom, everything that I promised to you is to do this? And he rebukes them and he says, are you crazy? Who knows what Jesus would have said? Maybe he slapped them in the head and said, like, what's wrong with you? That's not what... How do you miss this? How are you still thinking about yourselves and what you want? Where Jesus would have modeled what it was like to walk through Samaria and to talk to a woman. To talk to people who were in certain areas and Samaritans who, and, and Jewish people hated each other. And Jesus would have modeled time and time again. Listen, there's a lot of historical problems there. But as for you, if you're going to be my followers, you have to learn how to love people. Even that you've learned to hate over time. How are you doing as it relates to this issue of your own relationship with God and how easy it is to think that God exists just to make your life better? This morning, really, my prayer and my encouragement to you is to take some time over the next few days and just reevaluate your relationship with God. It's very easy to do. Say, God, you know, when's the last time you prayed and didn't ask God for something? 
It's so easy. When's the last time you stopped to pray to think about someone else? When's the last time you just said thank you? There's nothing to ask for. Just thank you, especially on this kind of weekend, right? But as Christians, I mean, a thankful life is something that just should flow out of us all the time. Now, the Bible also is filled with wonderful wisdom and commandments that say, you know what? When you go through difficult times, ask your father for certain things, right? Jesus is not against us asking God for things. But if our focus is really what we can get from God, what we can get from people, how we can use other things, systems and networks to our own advantage, we really have stopped and have missed the whole values of the kingdom of God. And I promise you this, you can do all the activity in the community you want. But at some point, people who are far from God, people who want nothing to do with religion, people who are tired of all of this other stuff, they're going to want to say, hey, do these people just love each other? Do these people just care about one another? How do you model that kind of life together? And we do that just with our, our, you know, our own families and then with our extended families, maybe your bigger family here. I read this great story years ago. And it was a story about a gentleman and he always would come into this small community. And when he would come, he'd bring two dogs. Two dogs with him. And what he would do is he would create a, a space in the, in the center square of the community where the dogs would fight each other. They would come and he would let them go and they would start to fight with each other and people would bet money on it. And he would make all this money. It's crazy. And every time he would come, he would bet on a dog and he would always win. And so finally, people in the community are like, hey, we're getting scammed. Like, how do you know every time you come to our community and we place these bets, which dog is going to win? Like, how is that possible? And he said, you know what? It's very easy. The one that I feed is the one that wins. And the one that I go a few days without feeding always loses. That's the rule. It's the same thing in our lives. The things that you feed, the things that you foster, the things that you pour your time into, those things at the end of the day will win as you think about your spiritual life. They will all the time. You can come to church. You can sit in this chair and sing as much as you want. But if the practices and the habits of your life are not feeding the spiritual things of your life, they're not feeding the things that allow you to think about God more and others more and to be selfless more, if you're not doing that regularly, it's very simple. At the end of the day, your selfish desires, what you want most, whatever you prefer, you, those will always win out. And you know what? Being a pastor or not, I struggle with the same temptations. Always there. They're always there. They always lurk. And when Jesus comes to us, he comes by his spirit like he did with his disciples. And he says, hey, hey by the way, by the way, this is not about you. This is not just about you. And the warning we get in Luke's gospel is how easy it is to be with Jesus regularly and to still forget that. Imagine how much more it can happen to us when we sometimes are like, man, I didn't read my Bible or I'm struggling to really make church really a regular part of my life. Hey, these are not rules and regulations to get you into heaven or to make God love you. These are rhythms that help us pattern our lives in the ways of the kingdom of Jesus. And the more you do them, the more they become a natural way of living. That's what Jesus says to us. That's what he invites us to, each of us. I'll leave you with the last passage. It's that last text in, in Philippians. It's really, it's really the passage that is the most common passage when you think about a selfless life and really modeling the life of Jesus. This is what it says. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look only out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Philippians chapter 2. That whole section of Philippians will go on and say, hey, the reason we're called to this life is because the Jesus that we love lived this way. Amazing. 
We don't have a God who says to us, hey, you should do these kinds of things. It'd be great if you live this way. We have a God that says to us, you will get an example of what it looks like to live this way whenever you see my son Jesus. Whenever you look at Jesus, who lived his life among people, he was always living selflessly among others. And this is my invitation to all of you. For those of you maybe who are part of Westside and this is your home and maybe you're visiting, you can practice this in your own time as you think about your life. If you really want to be a person who experiences the fullness of what Jesus offers in this life, you can't follow in his way and continue to think about yourself. We just can't. It's pretty much a violation of everything of the kingdom of God. And at some point, my prayer is that Jesus would say to you, hey, you know what? Birds will show up. I will allow certain things to come into your life, into your community, that will have to wake you up at how easy it is for you to become selfish. As individuals, and even as churches, where we don't know what to do with certain people, so we push them aside instead of saying, let me just listen. Let me just take an interest in maybe something that someone else has to say, even though I'm like, I know nothing about that. Right? The posture of just learning. The posture of just listening. Those postures are postures of people who are learning not to be selfish. Because selfish people, if you've ever met them, or if you've been around them, or you work them, you know what? They know everything. They just know everything. And not only do they know everything, they know exactly how they're going to use everything to their advantage. I read a story a few years ago, and it was, a, it was related to a painting that I saw, and it's this painting that you see on the screen. It's by Vincent van Gogh. And it's, is it up there, Andy? You have it or no? It's an amazing painting that he painted. And how many of you have ever seen this painting before? It's one of the famous paintings that he painted near the end of his life. And at the end of his life, in the last 10 years of his life, van Gogh experienced kind of a mental breakdown in some sense. And he was living in a facility where he just painted, but really he was really losing his mind and struggling with so many things. And in order to try to heal or work through those problems, he painted a lot, but he painted things that he remembered from his past. One of the paintings that he painted was this church. Because years, years earlier, he had struggled through different things. Actually, at one point, he thought he'd be part of the life of the church, a minister, a priest. And he remembers as he struggled with questions and as he struggled with his own challenges, he never found a place in a church where the church let him speak or he listened or let him share of the struggles. He never found a church that really embodied what it meant to be selfless. To say, well, come among us. Let us listen. Let us work this out. So when he painted this church, he did two very interesting things. One, he made sure that the clouds were a shadow of the, over the church, of a place that really didn't give him life, didn't give him hope, didn't remind him of Jesus. But the other thing you'll notice in this church is it has no doors. It was a reminder that whenever he thought of his church, whenever he thought of that time in his life, the church was never an open place where people could come and work through their challenges and say, you know, these are the things I'm working through with people who were learning to be selfless. It wasn't. There's many people in our culture, there's many people that I know, people that I love, people in my family, that sometimes when they think about church, when they think about Christian community, I grew up here in Quebec and I grew up in Montreal, so I know a lot about this culture. You know, they think of church this way. And you, Westside, have been given the mandate from Jesus to change that. Do you understand what that means? It's not Pastor Dave's mandate. It's not Frank's mandate. It's not even mine. It's a mandate from Jesus who says to you, this is not about you. You will know that I love you. But remember to live as people who are so selfless that when others come and when the birds come, that they would stay and make this their home. And they too would leave their selfish ways and become selfless. And that takes time. Live that kind of life. And he will take care of the rest.
Let me pray for you as I close. Jesus, thank you for this community. Thank you for what you're doing here and how uh, you're teaching these people to be your church here in Montreal, a city that they love and a city that I love. And I pray that they would be encouraged this weekend to focus more on what it is you're calling them to do for what it means to practice the selfless life so that those who are far off, those who, in your word, we see the example of these birds, people who are far off, who sometimes we can easily push aside, that they, no matter where they come from, no matter their background, no matter their religious tradition, would feel welcomed. They would feel heard because of a body of people who love each other and are living selfless lives. I pray that you would help them by the power of your spirit to live this kind of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Dave. Thanks so much, Dom. Um, Wow, beautiful message unpacking this parable and this portion of the gospel. I know that it resonates with our heart, with our mission, with our vision as a church. But even as Dom said, it's it's easy to think we're doing it, um, and then to really look uh, look at ourselves and say, Lord, where where you know how am I really living this out, uh, or where are parts of me that have gone uh, selfish? And we can often list things, even as a church that we're doing. I just listed it before. You know, we hosted Q, we served the school, did Flipside, and uh, it's so easy to flag that. You know, so easy to say, look what we're doing. Um, or I love what our church is doing. And then the difference between saying, Lord, what, how do you want me to be part of that? How do you want me to reflect that? How do you want me to live this out? Um, so I encourage you as, you as you go today to be thinking about that personally in your own life. Uh, if you're part of one of our community groups that meets in different neighborhoods, take some time this week and ask yourselves the question, you know, are we growing in our relationship with God, with one another, but also in our outward relationship with our neighbors and friends and coworkers? Uh, and are we, will, are we ready to, to mix those relationships and see the Lord at work there and trust him for that? If you're not in a community group, we'd love for you to uh, consider joining one or becoming a part of one or, or show us the interest that I'm ready to join. And we'll want to, we're, we're continually trying to think of how we can start more uh, in different pockets of our city to live this out. Um, and so, yeah, think, think through that. Maybe some of the things that we're involved in as a community might help you slowly do that. And we just want to help you process that. And so let us know that today in some way. Talk to someone, leave a note at Connections, send us an email, and we'd love to follow up with you. And as we go, can we stand and um, just affirm last week we ended with this, these words of Jesus uh, that he said to his disciples. And I think they fit this message really simple. He just told them, he said, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And, uh, and so we send each other out. Uh, we've gathered, and now we scatter uh, into our communities, our neighborhoods, and networks to live the way of Jesus. God bless you guys.